it's katie and this is classically black podcast where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession with trap beats playing in the background okay hello news this week mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I mean if we really talk let's talk about the news because it's i don't know y'all could tell me but it seemed real boring out here um, I mean, we in the house. Like, only so much you could do with a Zoom, sis. Yeah, I feel like everything <laughs> is just like so and so canceled. There's so and so until this date. So and so canceled. There's season until this date. And it's just like that's depressing and not exciting. So we should start playing games instead. Period. Or like on this day in classical music. Sure. Anyway, news this week. <laughs> yep. Um, I don't know. This stuff. Y'all know. Y'all know the vibes. This is the news this week. <laughs> you know the vibes. Right. You know, music and stuff. You know. And the stuff that happens with it. Right. Period. What you confused about? That's the news. All right. So, intermission. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, but for real, um, I did want to mention this because I. Like, yeah, it's coming up. Katie and I are gonna be out here once more, talking, running our mouths. Running um, our mouths. <laughs> right. We're um, we're part of a session at the Association for California Symphony Orchestras. They're having their conference virtually this year, and it is free to register this year. Um, since it's all online. Um, yeah, I will link the situation. The registration website what is happening um in the <laughs> in the description um basically the session that we're doing is in collaboration with a couple of different artists and people stakeholders in classical music and the arts um and, and then us we're not people girl we ain't no stakeholders and no i said people music. and oh i didn't hear that okay, we're not stakeholders people. i said stakeholders first of all i'm vegan Secondly, we ain't holding steak. S T A K E. It was a joke. Oh. Doing it. Was late, <laughs> okay. but come on, girl, you ruined the vibes. <laughs> Delaney, that would've been cute. It still happened. I mean, yeah, but now you're disgusted at my lack of knowledge of homonyms. Not disgust. Your face said it all. I was just confused. I thought mm-hmm. you really I was like so You thought I was really serious <laughs> I'm never serious That's the problem <laughs> What was we talking about? The thing? Yep We doing um, uh, This session called Five Provocations It's basically um, Each of our, There's five Well there's six people Because Katie and I are going together um, But um, We're basically Giving A little portion of like an issue in classical music what we would like to see and it's kind of like you end with a challenge for the classical music uh, community so um yeah we're doing that it's gonna be some fun people in there including alex lang if you saw us at our at yola national we had a session with him so um yeah i was mad he dragged me the way that he did but that's fine i still love alex that's fine hmm. i'm glad somebody's on my side for once I don't think he was on your side as much as he was on my side. 
Mm, I wouldn't go as far as, yeah, as to I, say that he was. I would. It's okay that you. I wouldn't. Well, it's um, okay. Only one of us has to. So. Well, that's fine. But that. I wasn't saying but that. I was saying. I would implore you but to, I, to just. But. But. But that's. But I. Not what. Yeah. Happened. Mm? So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so childish. If we weren't considerate of y'all's time, we would have gone on much longer than that. Oh yeah, this would. Also, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> I'm ready to go to bed. So. Right. So. I mean, we could really end it here. I've other boring I things I could no talk problem. about. So. Yep. So, intermission. Okay. <laughs> you ain't got no news for real? That was it. I'm telling you, Katie, nothing is happening. I could tell y'all a bunch of boring stuff. I can, if you would like to know. Baltimore Symphony Just canceled their season. Ain't, ain't save the world again? Huh? Just Klein's ain't save the world well, again? That, but is that really news? Or is it just. It's, it's just. Yep. Right. Um. Yeah, Baltimore Symphony canceled their season until I think November 29th. Oh, girl, everybody. Oh, that's yeah. All the like that's what I'm saying. Like oh, it's okay. just I look like that's what everybody's talking about. And I'm also, you know, I gotta stretch stuff out. It's like scraping. What I say, classical music news. It's like scraping for, for stuff. Girl, that's real optimistic about that whole November thing. But okay. You're right. So, we'll see. If we were in the hands of a Billy Go, I would say maybe. Okay. But. Thank you. We're in God's hands now. Hopefully, we won't be in His arms. Um. I remember when Katie said she wants to go to sleep. <laughs> Wide awake now. Okay, well. Okay, so you know, I was checking the SoundCloud numbers and like low key, high key, low key. We kind of like, you know, doing a thing or whatever. And so that means there's a lot of new people listening to us, which is really, really exciting. And I thought that it would be a great way for people to um, get to know us, especially like. I remember when I when I start listening to a podcast, I haven't done that in a while, but I always start at the most recent episode. So people probably never heard what was it? What was that one episode that did really well? We think it was. It was like seventy three questions, Delaney and Katie. Like, why did y'all listen to that? <laughs> it was cute. Nah, I'm not even gonna hold you. If Kid Fury and Chris, I would die for them to do that actually because they don't want to tell us nothing about them except. I that mean, we didn't really tell them. That's about our personal. Like, we were just doing fun questions. It wasn't like who you booed up with and what y'all be doing. Like, it wasn't stuff like that. I mean, yeah, but I like little stuff about. I don't know. I was like behind the scenes stuff. But anyway, so I'm gonna do a little small mini series called Get to Know Me. And musical style for the intermission for the next couple episodes and y'all see what how the vibe will be hopefully i remember to do this next week because you know but anyway Wait, we doing different dramas yeah i got i got some little oh, stuff cooked okay. up whatever uh, so the first this week is gonna be named three classical pieces that would best describe you to a stranger 
say pomp and circumstance because it's 2020 period yeah, okay don't even don't even finish class, of, class of 21 20 don't even I, you said what class of 21 20 yeah so thanks so much for listening to class school podcast i'm i'm i would say i want to go home but been home all year so um yeah signing off all right perfectly fine with that on this end we'll turn this computer off as we speak can you just do the intermission so we can get over get this over okay you can start (laughs) go ahead not me starting let me start Mm -hmm. okay my three pieces Piece number one is the Stamas Viola Concerto. Now, if you know me, you might be confused. Because why would this horrific piece... Okay. I'm just playing. Stamas is okay concerto. It's just like... A lot of violas just don't like it. Because one, I feel like... Who was knowing how to play it back when he wrote that? Um, with them thirds. <laughs> but it's, it's a cute piece. Also, I spent a lot of time um, with that piece. Literally from my senior year. Well, actually, as a violist, like, when you take auditions, they might ask for a classical concerto, and that's always my go-to classical concerto. So, after I learned it, like, in high school, poorly, I've never, I've never let go of it. So, um, it's it's the only piece that has always been, has, has been with me for the longest. So, I'll say that. Okay. My second piece is the Egmont Overture by Beethoven. Um, and I said that because um, this is the first peaceful orchestra that I conducted in the conducting studio um, at Illinois State University. If you know me personally, you would know that I originally was going to do my graduate studies in conducting. And cause I was really, really into it. And I guess I had some promise or something. And I decided, hmm. I decided, I decided not to go that direction. But the reason why that piece is so close to my heart and I get excited uh, when I play it is because my, you're a child. Where'd you stop? My conducting teacher, Dr. Block, is going to take my notes app, cover your face, great. My conducting teacher, Dr. Block, um, was probably one of the first people to show really, not, not interest in me, but he always saw he always knew something was there um and he really invested a lot of time into me i would say i was taking private conducting lessons as an undergrad for what um it really encouraged me and pushed me through through the latter half of my um time at illinois state university and i'm always in debt to him for that um and then my last piece is sanctum by Dopey Wolfie. Yup. That's who. <laughs> Hope he hears this. <laughs> Sanctum for uh, viola piano by Adolphus Hillstork. Adolphus Hillstork is one of my favorite composers. Um, I like this piece a lot. I think it, I mean, I feel like it doesn't necessarily match my personality. Like, I feel like you wouldn't understand who I was if you listened to it because oh you know what maybe actually yeah you would because that viola opening where it's all first of all the viola has like a two minute like uh solo without the piano at first and then just like the contrast between like chaos and um 
and peace i feel like that dude could that do low-key because i could be people when, i feel like when people meet me they'll be like oh she's an extrovert but i really i really want people to understand and lean in. i'm such an introvert why do you it's like extrovert versus introvert is not about like necessarily like your like how you present yourself to the world but mainly how you process like i can't process my thoughts among like i can't process my thoughts and i can't process among others i must do that by myself so yeah okay katie <laughs> i i i'm i don't think, i feel like i've never even heard anybody yeah, we're not having this conversation we disagree but it's okay it doesn't matter <laughs> what i heard that definition of introvert versus extrovert and i was like somebody gets it like it's about processing like i well, see but extroverts don't they go to socialize not like i want to process my thoughts so i gotta be around you like what was the definition katie it's okay katie wants to identify as an introvert i it, that doesn't have any effect on me katie like we can agree to disagree it's fine it's you you co- you gotta identify whatever you want to do I feel like I'm both. Okay. At least give me both. Okay. <laughs> you're not even gonna give me both, Phil. I see that you are giving yourself both, and you're not even gonna give me both, Delaney. Don't give me both. Both. Okay, seventy-five, twenty-five. Y'all see this? Delaney. I have. I have already moved on. I'm ready to nah because it don't nah. First of all, we if I know any if we know you 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 know you, you don't move on. Uh, 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 uh. I am moving on. I've I've said we can agree to disagree. I'm okay with Mm-mm. that. I don't know what it is. What is the appeal? Like, <laughs> all right. So my pieces. She mad too. Look at her. <laughs> what? Come on. Um, because if you just see me, I don't we, know. I've never seen you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just really enjoy being by myself sometimes. Extroverts don't like that. You know, there are people who are literally losing their apples right now because they cannot go to function. I feel like, I mean... Sure. I mean, I think that there's a spectrum. I don't think that there are some people who never like to be alone, but there are people who are extroverts that that doesn't mean that they can never be alone. And like they hate, you know, like, yeah, I mean, we've been, well, some people have been quarantined since March. So like, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, so my piece is, my first one is similar to your your situation with Stamets. My first one is the Hindemith base. That's a great way to put it. A situation. Okay. Your entanglement, stop it! It's an entanglement because I can never get rid of. I can't never get rid of. What am I gonna do on Hoffmeister? Okay, twins. <laughs> um, I was entangled with the Hindemith Bay Sonata for quite a while, um, and yeah, I feel like I, I've talked about that on the show a couple times. Um, it was basically it's basically one of those pieces that I was like, "What the heck?" Like every time I started a new movement, then I was like, "Oh, that's the heck!" And I feel like. Um, I learned a lot um, doing that or playing that piece, and it was all downhill from there. But we don't need to talk about that. Okay, um, so problem. can we please keep going? I was. No. You were like, oh, okay, it's fine. Mm, no. Mm, 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 mm. 
Okay. <laughs> I don't like you, <laughs> Um, and I feel like I don't know. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, my next piece is I don't even know if if I could say that these pieces describe who I am because who am I? But um, I was hands on number two. That's okay. What's your third piece? Dvorak, um, Dvorak. I will, Katie. I'm turning your audio off for this portion. <laughs> um, um, anyway, um, no, but uh, Dvorak American String Quartet. I feel like that was the first piece of classical music that I heard that I was like, oh, this ain't this is okay. Like that, I actually yeah, he was in his bag for that. Yeah. Like he really like that. I felt like I liked like it. You know, like you know, because mm-hmm. before I heard it when I went to like my first like orchestra thing outside of the program that I was in and it was like a faculty concert and I was like ah like I was you know I had only mm-hmm. been I, that was the first that whole situation was the first time I had even played um something that was not an arrangement like you mm-hmm. know so like that was just mm-hmm. a mu- musical experience I had a lot of firsts for me but hearing that like having that was probably the first like recital type thing that I had ever been to you know um in the traditional sense of like the chamber music uh recital so i was like hmm, period so that was kind of like my first into like oh i could listen to classical music you know like that could just mm-hmm. be whatever um and then my last one um is lift every voice and sing because it's a black national anthem and everybody who knows me i'm blackity black 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 all day every day <laughs> Period. Um, and I'm gonna just say the the version by James uh, Cockerham. Cockerham, Cockerham. Oh, he he went off on yeah, that. He went off. So, um, <laughs> all right, y'all can find the gateways recording of that on YouTube. But yeah, those are my three pieces. Oh, I forgot to say about Sanctum. Like, I'm I'm very appreciative. That's that piece. Uh. Help me to see the world, I would say. Like, I got oh, to travel right. for that piece. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that part of Katie, the travel. First of all, Katie's a jet setter. Um, On her jet setting things, we <sighs> won't talk about, you know, the situations. That was so unfortunate. There's a couple people listening to this podcast who know exactly what I'm talking about that happened in Poland. Like, what the heck? And I don't even, I don't even think about it. Like, I can't, like, I don't know. I actually haven't thought about it in a, in a while. It's only because I posted that thing about Poland today. But I was like, oh, I could have been in Poland like right now. Yup. But here we are. What is it? Five million cases. So great, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but there goes that. Oh yeah, isn't your recording of Sanctum on performance today? Yep, but the link doesn't work, so don't oh, even try to look it? for it. Let me nope. see. So anyway, moving on. See if I can. The link doesn't work. The link. Well, well, there's a will, there's a way. So, (laughs) and I sure have the will. (laughs) (laughs) Can we please move on? Yep, we sure can. What's next? We're doing the um, (coughs) we're doing another what recording of. One of our sessions at Yellow National. So if you weren't there, but this one's fun because um, 
we were just having a. We were, at first it was a little. Everybody was like had their best professional behavior, and then we finally opened up, and it was like. <clears throat> like a FaceTime call, right? Yeah, and mm. and that was cool because it it felt you know more like a show like a classically black like just recording it. So um, this is us talking to Amari Ford. Um, what is his name? I'm gonna tell you. Let me tell you. Oh, now I'm not gonna put his business out there, but I changed um his name in my phone to a more appropriate um title, if you will. Like Richard is Doctor Richie. Oh. You know? Right. So I cha- I changed his name to something more fitting of his accolades, Period. if you will. I'll tell. I'll share that. I will. I will say it on here, but you know, I don't want to try to lose it. You know, he world renowned. He world, He missed the worldwide. Right. And um. So. Um. Also, Clifton Joey Gidry. Shout out to Joey. Um. Here we and Jasmine Dakin. So here is Jasmine. <laughs> okay. So here go that interview. Hey everybody, we're back. Um, I'm Delaney. Uh, I'm a bassist uh, and alumna of Yola, and I'm wrapping up my degree in double bass performance at the Eastman School of Music. And it's Katie. I'm a violist and recent graduate of the Eastman School of Music, where I got my master's degree in viola performance and music education. I'm currently a fellow with the Memphis Symphony Orchestra, and we are the hosts of Classically Black Podcast, where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession. With trap beats playing in the background. <laughs> After noticing a lack of community among Black classical musicians in our environment, we created Classically Black Podcast. Where we gas up classical musicians, we highlight Black composers, Stan Tchaikovsky, and we talk about issues pertaining to Black classical musicians. We're so excited to be here today with Amare, Clifton, and Jasmine, our friends and colleagues who noticed lack, filled a void, and started their own stuff. Welcome, y'all. Hey. Hi. Hey, Clifton, with us. I don't even know how we're gonna how we gonna keep this to an hour because we are all friends. <laughs> right. It's supposed to be we all yeah. this. <laughs> but, but but Delaney, not Clifton with the with the neck. The ascot. So, Very can good. Can we get into this? Can we get right. into this? <laughs> and Amari with the with the um. You got his brand. Come on, brand. Come on, CEO. So Listen, it's gonna be a mess. <laughs> CEO. Look at us oh, already yeah. off topic. I'm great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, first, let's just let people get to know y'all, where y'all are from, um, and how you got into music. Anybody can start. La Jasmine. Okay, La Jasmine. Oh, I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start. So I play the oboe um, and founder of Black Classical Music Educators. And I start, you want to know how I started music, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I started music at the age of five. There was a little pause, though, because I started by, I started violin when I was five to seven. And then didn't play music for a little bit and restarted at the age of 11 in middle school band. But the way I started was from PBS. <laughs> it was like a great performances series, performance, I think. And I just saw the life of the orchestra and decided I wanted to play the violin. And I think it was because like that that was like the majority of the orchestra and they moved so much. So I told my mom I wanted to start violin. And wait, hello? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so um, I started the flute in middle school and then I began the oboe in high school and I stuck with that ever since. Period. Oh, I can go. Um, yeah, my name is Amari. I'm from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. 
Um, I started music like at two or three in church. Um, my grandfather was a pastor and my mom directed. So I would like stand next to her while she directed the choir. And then I had a cousin who sang and we would like record Kirk Franklin and Hezekiah Walker. Like, um, but I started classical music in the fourth grade. I started playing violin. Um, then I went to a magnet school and I started saxophone in sixth grade, switched to oboe in seventh grade, started piano lessons, then like some other like bass clarinet, baritone sax, and then Hammond organ. Um, started Just tell us instruments you don't play. That would be <laughs> right. <laughs> brass instruments. I do not play brass instruments, but if it has like a reed or some keys, I can probably figure it out. Um, so yeah, started arranging like in uh, 10th or 11th grade for the band, uh, started composing officially in college. Um, and then I started Arts in Action a few years ago. I'm a middle school orchestra teacher. I'm Clifton, I'm a bassoonist and composer. I'm from Houston, land of Beyonce. Um, Very and good. <laughs> How I got into music is my family is Creole, like, this evening. Um, but so we went to a lot of Zydeco's and, like, in church halls and everything. So in sixth grade, in Texas, you start band in sixth grade. We don't really do a ton of orchestra. But um, so I played saxophone, and I did the whole all-region, all-state thing. Um, and I switched to bassoon the summer before I went to college. Um, and then I went to state school for a year, and... Um, I did not enjoy it. So I transferred to conservatory and started composing and all of that. And now I've just started doing a lot of teaching of taking the bassoon out of the Western context. Like, even though it was made in Germany, it doesn't have to live in the land of Weber, you know? So that's pretty much my project these God. days. Now Vabrin with the little, you know, you know what I'm talking Ooh. about. The way he writes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what way, Katie? What way? Jasmine, we're in a professional contest. Let's not do this. <laughs> okay, so we touched on this a little bit, but uh, tell us about your experience with, like, the traditional path of classical music. Yeah. You're talking about... Oh. We can do the same order. We could... Whatever you want to do. Can you repeat that? Mm-hmm. Tell us about your uh, your experience with the traditional path of classical music. So maybe just elaborate a bit more on <clears throat> maybe mm -hmm. what you studied and like how your experience, like how your experience was with that. You know, you don't have to go too into detail about like, you know, every week at conservatory, but just, you know, just expand right. upon that, <laughs> expand upon mm -hmm. that a little bit more. Tell us about like your, because this is about branching off, right? So we just want to hear about what you were doing first. Yeah. I would say um, that my path was very traditional um, until, I guess, grad school. Um, I started with Suzuki lessons, middle school band, borough-wide band lessons on the weekends, straight to conservatory <laughs> and and straight to grad school. And I, I had no problem with the traditional route. I really loved it. I loved the seriousness about it for some reason. And I loved the rep, but I realized that the traditional route environment was not always welcoming for me. So. Um, oh, sorry. And I, I wanted to change like the environments that I was in. And from there, I got really into contemporary music and I went to um, Gateways Music Festival. So festivals that welcomed who I was as a musician. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything's wrong with that. Like, I, I think Dylan and I have been very vocal about <clears throat> mm -hmm. contemporary 
contemporary <laughs> music um or whatever like or our our Delaney and I approaches to jazz improvising like, I don't think there's anything wrong with the traditional path I, I very much I, mm-hmm. taught high, I taught high school middle school orchestra then I took my butt right on to Eastman like there's nothing I don't think right exactly wrong with liking that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my route was traditional um I went to school on an oboe and violin scholarship um, but I didn't like have a whole lot of lessons. So like I took lessons before I started oboe and then I didn't have lessons after that. And I took lessons for a little bit like junior and senior year, but like consistent lessons um, wasn't something that I was like accustomed to. So like trying to get ready for a college audition was kind of tough. Cause I'm like, well, I don't know what to play. Like, do they want to hear my band music? Or like, you know, Donovan New Day. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that was a little bit um, a little bit tricky to navigate. Um, and then in college, you know, I played in all the chamber ensembles and stuff. Um, and then my path. So I started in music education, failed a class right before I was going to student teach, which is a long story, but I failed it. So I switched really quick to performance and then put together like a senior recital in like four months, gave a recital went to grad school for composition. Wow. Don't ask for the recording from that resign. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, um, I had kind of traditional route. Y'all know I'm pretty dramatic, so it's a little dramatic story. But um, essentially, like I said, I played saxophone until uh, right before college and I grew to like completely resent the saxophone. Um, so when I went to audition for state schools in Texas, one of the ones I ended up going to, they were like, do you play anything else? And I was like, I play bassoon. And it was like, an entire lie. Cause I heard that if you play this, you get more money. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, know, you gotta good. get the bag. You gotta get the bag. Very no. good. <laughs> they, they ended up not getting any bassoon. So they were like, do you want to come as a bassoon major? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, can you send a recording in two weeks? And I was like, yeah and it just was really i learned the bassoon in like two weeks kind of and it was terrible i go back and listen to that recording every now but um so i went to college at state school for a year and had to fit like eight years of bassoon in a year and it was insane i had a really good teacher um but then i needed to go somewhere better so i went to peabody and there with the traditional sense it was really intense a very big switch um, I was really unfulfilled in orchestra a lot, and I also love contemporary music. And I played George Figueroa Haas's in Bane, and that really switched me over to mostly contemporary. And now finishing grad school, um, doing all of that, and now doing a contemporary mm-hmm. master's, you know? So just really deviating from Brahms mostly these days. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. deviate from Brahms to Chike. Exactly. Oh, okay. right, so Brahms to yeah, a little switch to price, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're talking about, you know, you notice a, a void and you're like, okay, period. Somebody mm-hmm. got to do this. It's going to be me. So can you tell us when or how, if there was a specific moment or a period of time in your career that you noticed that there was a space in that traditional class of, uh, that traditional path of classical music that needed to be filled? Oh, when we noticed a void that needed to be filled. Yeah. 
Um, I can go first. I, you know, I told you that I failed that class, so I didn't graduate with music education, go to grad school, but I still felt like I was supposed to be a music educator. So I was like looking for jobs, could not find a job. I mean, I applied to be like administrative assistant, like at 18 different places. I'm still waiting for them to respond to say, hey, we got your application, want to know if you're interested. And that was in 2016, 17. Um, so could not find a job. And then someone calls and is like, hey, Amari, we have, there's a school um, that needs a band director. I know the school. And they said, you know, would you be willing to move back to be a band director at this school? Um, and I said, no, because I did not want to move back to be a band director at that school. Move back from where? So you were- so I was in Greensboro, sorry. So I went to oh, okay, undergrad okay. at University of Central Oklahoma. I went to grad mm -hmm. school at UNC Greensboro. Um, oh, so like at that time when I thought of like jobs that I would move back home for, it was not that school. But then I started to think about all of the schools like that. So this school was situated on the east side of town. That particular school has like some low enrollment, but the east side of town uh, of Oklahoma City is majority black. And so I started to think about how all of the music and arts programs were starting to like be removed from schools um, on that side of town. So we don't have consistent band directors or orchestra directors, or it's like, get a director for like two years and they go somewhere else. And so there wasn't consistency. And so I was like, you know, those kids deserve to have quality like music education, um, but also consistent music education. And so I started thinking about, you know, what I could do to help out with that. Um, but, you know, the school systems are full of like red tape and like politics sometimes and all of these things that you have to navigate. And so I wanted a solution to that um, that issue where I didn't have to like go through that system. So I was like, I'll just make my own organization. Um, and so I started brainstorming about like names and things that I wanted to do and all of that stuff and held a camp for the first time in 2018, um, just with seven kids, but like those seven kids learned some stuff and they put on like a really, really great performance. And so that was the start of Arts in Action. <laughs> I'll answer for Black classical music educators. Um, I feel like it's always been in the back of my mind that we needed a centralized place to find Black classical music educators, but <sighs> I just recently acted on it or I decided that, okay, I, I know so many people, we have to change something. And so many, so many Black classical music educators and just Black artists who are great and I'm going to make something where we can find all of them because I don't wanna say that we don't exist, black people don't exist in classical music, we do, but we're just so often overlooked and because of implicit bias, we're not given some opportunities. And there's also just a lower percentage of us in general. So now there's no excuses. Like we have one place to find all the artists, all the educators, and I hope that it can be utilized as much as possible. Yeah, I would say um, when I switched over to contemporary music, um, not switched over because, you know, living in between both. Right. But, um, what's it called? Ah, 
So essentially, you go into the space of contemporary music and you think it's more progressive, but it's just white supremacy and Doc Martens and a beanie. So Ooh. it's not, there's really not a lot different. And a lot hmm. of contemporary groups, <laughs> look, it is what it is. Just because you play a piece that involves like two paint cans and a lemon, you know, we, it's not diverse. There's still <laughs> nothing but white people. So my project is essentially just like, taking the contemporary aspects that I'm learning, taking the training I'm learning and helping other black people get the bag and also putting my own music out there. And that's my project right now. I just starting to release mm -hmm. my first EP and it's just entire music that I've learned from Montana Roberts, from Lisa Harris, from George Lewis, Passion Sori, you know, and Marian Brown, like taking all these aspects that none of us were taught in conservatory um, in our music history classes and applying it now. And I was taking that knowledge when I go to do my master classes at different universities. I mean, like, so there's more than John Adams and Philip Glass, you know, like here is Julius Eastman, you know? So that's essentially the space I'm taking up because contemporary, the world of contemporary really needs to wake up and realize like, there is no difference from the white supremacy in classical music and contemporary ensembles at the moment. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Yeah, um, I feel like, Oh. oh, go ahead. No, period. No, oh, no, I'm just going to add to that and say a lot of people feel like uh, feel like because contemporary music is, you know, um, or contemporary musicians are a minority in the musician world, that they, they could speak for all minorities, and that's not the case. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's like they try, you can't other yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. You should not other yourself, especially when you are a white musician, because you're still in the hierarchy of white supremacy. In, no matter where we are in the world of music or in the world. So. So talk about the time between the awareness and, and the start of your project. Like, was this, um, like, did you notice like this void like right away? Like, was this a buildup? Was it like, or did it happen like right away? Like what, you talked about it, but just wanted to just go over that one more time. Um, uh, I, oh no, you can go ahead. Okay. For, me with um, starting the EP, um, it was an idea from my teacher, Rebecca Heller, to do to end my last year of GPD at Manis. Um, but then Corona happened and I actually caught Corona. So that was a really interesting time. And one night was really scary and I was praying and I was like, you know, like if we get out of this, like we're going to do it. So when I healed and everything, I was like, okay, we have plenty of time right now. We should do it. And that just the motivation of like knowing so much is going bad in the world right now. And like, I am now kind of healthy from this. Like I should be appreciative of being alive and try to make the best music possible and also honoring my ancestors at the same time. And that's what really drove me through the end of just trying to not look for the white gaze in this or get white appreciation, but just make music for our people and to celebrate our people is what really pushed me to get through to the end of this. Um, for BCME, I would say that it was a mix of a buildup and just, you know, also sudden. Um, I guess the buildup would be me realizing that um, our white, I have, I'm so used to having white private teachers. And except for in high school, I had a black private teacher and that was great. And after college, they were all white. And I love my teachers, but I feel like 
um, and they supported me so much and they still do, but I feel like no matter how old the person could be, the white person, they will never have certain experiences that, I, that I've already had at a younger age. And so it's important to find people who are like us, no matter how much our white teachers may care about us. And it's also important just to give black musical, black classical music educators the opportunity to be that example. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I've, I, all of my teachers have been, for the most part, have been incredibly supportive of what, mm -hmm. whatever I've decided to do. Um, particularly, I'll have to say my undergraduate teacher, she took nothing <laughs> and, and made it into um, something. However, like mm -hmm. my experience with Mr. Taylor is, is has is like almost unmatched because he now he's he's older and he's seen he has experienced being black in classical music at a particularly high level so that was a, an incredible experience as well so i definitely resonate right with mm -hmm. um for me so i the phone call i mentioned earlier came maybe like July is right before school was starting and they were trying to you know fill positions um and then I still couldn't find a job so I ended up moving back like in October moving back to Oklahoma City um and I started to talk about this idea of creating something to different people and everyone was like oh you should do it you should do it um so yeah I had the first camp I think it was in June of 2018 so I guess like nine months or so between like when I thought about it and then actually launched with like the first event. Okay, so we talked about, you know, we talked about how, although you guys are doing things that are enriching classical music and, and adding to, um, adding an alternative to the traditional path, we did touch a little bit on the fact that like, you're still there a bit, like you're you're still doing both in a way. So can you talk about kind of towing that line and like how how did that come to be that you were like, okay, I'm gonna balance both? Cause I know like for, for me personally, sometimes you feel as though, you know, this tradition that's been going in classical music for hundreds of years, like sometimes if you deviate from that, it, there's judgment, there's guilt, like there's mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So have you guys had any experience with that? Or um, can you talk about that? And, and is it possible to, to tell that line? Yeah, I would say so. I would say even the line doesn't exist. Um, I would say particularly at Peabody, Mr. Coker, my bassoon teacher, was like, all of y'all need to take Baroque lessons. You know, we were playing Vivaldi Contarity. And, you know, and Baroque style has its own specific articulations that can go with contemporary music. You know, all of these different styles blend together. You have to play in tune in Brahms to playing second bassoon really well. The same way you need to play these microtones in tune so the effect is still there. You know, like all of the techniques mm -hmm. are still here. They're, they're just the time periods of when this music is written. And the rhythms are just a little harder over here, you know? So it's just, mm -hmm. that's how I see it for myself of like, as a bassoonist currently, can you really make it as just doing contemporary? Like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see in a couple of years, but I still love playing an orchestra. And I feel like a lot of people still love playing an orchestra and it's really easy, easy to get pigeonholed into just doing contemporary music or just doing Baroque. When, like I said, all of these styles are very, very, very similar. Um, 
I think for me, I've always sort of done two things. So, you know, I've done classical music, but I also have been a church musician since I was like 12. So I've always had like a church job playing piano or organ, like on Sunday mornings while going to college, while even in grad school. Um, and lately, um, especially after being a teacher, um, my goal is to let people know that it's all the same, like Clifton was just saying, um, like for instance, with my kids, we played an arrangement of Stevie Wonder's uh, Isn't She Lovely? And so like you can practice shifting in third position in Stevie Wonder, just like you can other pieces that we might play. And so I really try hard to get both sides to see like, hey, it's music. Like Clifton said, I wanna hear music in tune no matter what genre it is. Like it just has to be in tune, whether it's a marching band, whether it's an orchestra, a gospel choir, you must play, sing, phonate in tune. Um, mm -hmm. Because that's like, that's music. And so like we get put into these silos and stuff, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Clifton that like there isn't a line or there shouldn't be because we're all doing the same thing. It's just different. Yeah. I feel like people also, like we collectively need to get um, the idea out of our head that classical music informs like our knowledge about other types of music because uh, contemporary music or music from various countries in Africa can inform our classical music like abilities like and it, do and do right because right and they do stuff, right because there's a whole bunch of stuff in, in music theory class where they be talking mm -hmm. around it and i'll be like oh from church when they go like da, 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 da. oh okay exactly. got right. it you know? exactly yeah <laughs> classical music mm -hmm. rarely informs other stuff that i do to be completely transparent right yeah yeah i feel like in and it shouldn't be oh sorry no 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 go ahead go ahead yeah. no i was just gonna say it shouldn't be the default that's it exactly mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like classical music is the one, the the one genre or even art form. Period. I mean, you know, I don't be doing nothing else. So, but like, <laughs> the one like genre that that separates itself in that way. And so, when you're like someone that's like, mm, I don't really know about that. Like, I mean, we 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 run into this on classically black where we talk about rap music sometimes, and people just people on Twitter specifically just really can't handle it. They really cannot <laughs> handle that. I would equate like something i say is that like a lot of these rappers are more innovative than your favorite composer and that's just Ooh, right like, it's exactly just, like and if you want to ask me which ones i can tell you which ones like watch somebody in the chat be like okay then which ones okay like uh, but yeah let's talk about it's it. like the like i feel like classical music has this i don't even know like this um Superior yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got the word for you doing. <laughs> you know, tell anybody like... that take off, take off is a leap. No. Okay. Take off? Nah. Put take off on an <laughs> instrument in an orchestra audition. You will win it every time. He Echo, raps so nah. Is a rap for Migos, if y'all. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Gotta give everybody their points of entry. Katie. Okay. <laughs> Very good scaffolding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but I just yeah, and, and if you kind, it, it kind of it almost seems like if you want to deviate from the traditional path, like it's it's almost as if it depends on where you are, it depends on the environment, you know. Um, and I've only gone to one school, so I can't say what it's like at other places. Um, and our school, the school that me, me, Katie, and Jasmine went to, uh, Eastman's, 
it's fairly open, but at the same time, it still walks like a conservatory, talks like a conservatory, it's conservatory. So like when you're doing like, oh, I'm gonna be on the mics every week talking about black stuff and classical music and, and kicking with my friends, like at the end of the day, you know, excerpts, <laughs> you know, exactly. that sort of thing. Yeah. When we speak yeah. about towing the line, it's also like something that Delaney and I came into uh, contact with while attending Eastman. You know, we all we post every week about a new episode of Classic Black. You get to your lesson, they'll be like, So I saw you had your little episode out, but how your how's your concerto coming? You know, right. so it's like not only towing the line within but between genres, but like it's hard to be classical music, like the way it's just set up, you have to perform at a high level. It has to be perfect or approaching perfect. And mm. it's it's hard to to branch out while doing that you know I, I have this conversation with jasmine quite often about how like viola is always a priority for me it doesn't matter what what else is going on it has to be you said what you said oh that's good for you i'm happy that you <laughs> right but that's because that's just kind of like where, where it is right now because i delaney mentioned guilt and it's like that's kind of feel like where i feel like it has to be you know it has to mm -hmm. be like let me get my practice in and, and I could text Lane about classical black and then I could do whatever else we're doing, you know. So towing that line in that in that space is quite difficult for me. I'm not gonna act like I haven't gotten to a lesson. My teacher like, I'll see a new episode this week. Yeah. Um, so how about how how long does that does that take to, you know, <laughs> like, you know, just a little casual question. I'm like, listen. Right. <laughs> But the other thing with classical music is that what you just said about it always having to be perfect, which is a general sense for everyone. But then when you're Black and Indigenous and Latinx, you can't mess up. You know, More. we already have so much pressure just getting one foot in the door. And mm -hmm. it just really, really messes up so many people in our community because, I mean, it's, just, it's the constant pressure. I remember being at Peabody and like going in my first year, there I think three or four Black students left by a second semester you know it was just like what is going on where is the retention you know like how do these schools have this terrible retention rate and then going to mm -hmm. manis for gpd there were four black people five out of the whole school you know it's like what's going on you know there's clearly a problem with the elitism the pressure and then the pressure on top of that of black and brown students you know like how do we right. where do we go to fix this because it's obviously mm -hmm. at the top so yeah I want to add to that also and like related back to what I was saying about the traditional environment being a problem rather than like the the act what we actually do I I remember in undergrad I would I would be made fun of for being in the oboe room like till late at night making reads because that was the first time I had to make my own reads and people would people would make fun of me for that but once I made a mistake of any kind or once I wasn't ready with my read, it's like I would go back into the negatives. Like there was just so much, um, there was just, I got so much flack for it, but that's the reason why I was in the oval room all those hours so that I could succeed and I could be seen as like my white counterparts in conservatory. Yeah, and like, I mean, that made me think of my freshman year, um, I'm in the top band, I'm in the wind ensemble, and I am like first chair, I'm the section leader, and we have a recording. I have never made reads before, and so we're right. having like to prepare for recording. I've never recorded professionally before. 
So there's all this pressure on me, like the section leader to perform with like another, the section that had another freshman and a sophomore. And like, everyone's looking at me, but I don't, like, I don't have anything. Like I said, I didn't take lessons. I don't know how to make reads. Like, girl, I'm giving you the very best that I have. <laughs> uh, and you're telling me that my best isn't good enough. Now, right, uh-huh. what you're saying is probably true, but for right now, it's as good as it gets. Um, mm-hmm. And I, just I literally said that in a day, coaching once. <laughs> <laughs> it's as good as it gets. <laughs> um, and I mean, the way that it like, I think arrest us as a person is like the other day I was just talking with my therapist about like some issues I have about um, like success and like view of myself. And so she said, well, where does that come from? And I was like, probably from classical music because we are trained to be perfect (laughs) every time. Mm -hmm. If you make one mistake, it's no good. We've all heard the story like, oh, nobody wants to hear music with 80% right notes. Like that's, the thing that we perpetuate. Um, so yeah, it really affects our entire life. Exactly. Are, so it's three double read people here, technically? Hey. Yeah, that's crazy. I played with someone in high school. I played with high school. We'll look okay, four. okay, we got three and a half. So we can hit- Wait, hold up, I played four? Okay, Wait, go ahead. Oh, that's, that's not a double read. read. Okay, I'm, I came and I brought it back. no read, actually. I said, I brought it back. I was like, oh, wait, that's not. I thought you said wind, okay? That's I okay. thought you said wind. We here, we here, we here. We here. I want to be included. Is this how they feel on Classic Black? I want to be included. Okay. I played bassoon. I played bassoon for six weeks in undergrad, and I will never forgive that instrument. Not from that airship to that G. I will never get over that break. That is that needs to be re-examined. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's the thing. Bassoon, double read, super inaccessible. Firstly, mm. no one told me when I switched to bassoon that the heckle was gonna cost forty thousand dollars. Okay. But secondly, I know so many black and brown oboes and bassoonists now. And a lot of us did not go to interlocking. So a lot of us did not go to conservatory with read making <laughs> skills. We were all so behind. Also, read making skills are s- exactly. <laughs> I remember okay. asking my band director in high school about interlocking. He was like, you can't afford it, don't apply. When there's whole See, scholarships, you know? This gatekeeping, you know, that's a whole nother, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of class. We have to rebuild the whole thing. We have to get rid of the whole thing. So. <laughs> gatekeeping, we don't have time for this conversation, but gatekeeping yeah. really grinds my gears because yeah. there's people at the top who knows what it takes and they are the people who are opening and closing the gate to certain people. Mm-hmm. You know what it takes. You know what it takes to make a little brown and black people, black kids apply to these conservatories playing Suzuki book three pieces, not helping them. I bought my first viola in undergrad. I took lessons from seventh grade. I had no idea that I should probably own my instrument when I went to undergrad. Gatekeeping. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and my little viola was $2,000 and I thought I was doing something. So I had to get another viola. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. I, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And we all we all got those stories. I remember my my teacher you saw that bass. He was like, so. Yeah, when it was time for Eastman, it was what like, yo, look, look real cute. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yo, yeah. look real cute. <laughs> I'm sorry, we, we interrupted you. I just I I just been so many places oh. that I can't afford. It. I can't I can't afford to go to Eastman. So <laughs> like, Listen, but I went there. Sally but... may knocking on my door right now, and we'll keep knocking. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's home. Okay. Wrong number. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's just. Man, just I'm so sorry, but no, that really gets on my nerves. Like gatekeeping is really a, and then a, I'm not gonna say that part, but gatekeeping 
is something yeah. that really gets me riled up because when you look back at your classical music career as a person of color, as a black person, you really see that like you only really got here by the universe or the grace of God or whatever you believe in because it's mm -hmm. like there are so many people that will stop you along the way. You went to undergrad, you don't know how to make a read? Come yeah, on, you know exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Nah, mm -hmm. I went to undergrad with a rental. And nice. my teacher was like, so Katie, mm -hmm. <laughs> you must buy this. Luckily, luckily, so my, my teacher in high school is black. And he, he set me up with an instrument, um, like gave me a discount on an oboe because I was playing some plastic oboe and he was like, yeah, this is not gonna work. Um, no one told you that, but you need a new one before you leave. <laughs> and so we worked something out and, but otherwise I wouldn't have known. I would have just went to mm -hmm. school with my plastic oboe, like fully plastic. Sometimes we have top joints that are plastic to protect yeah. us from the weather, but no, it was fully plastic. like. I had just started learning how to make reads, but I couldn't make one fully on my own yet. Yeah. They don't talk about the community aspect that that has on the schools. If I remember going to Eastern Music Festival, um, I think it was the first or second rehearsal, everyone knew each other. You know, everyone knew each other. They mm -hmm. all went to Interlochen, they all went to Idlewild. There was a hefty number of Black people that year, and none of us weren't there, so we were all together, you know? But it was just, like, insane to me. I felt like I had missed out on a whole education, you know? But, you know, as Black people, we were taught by our ancestors, we're going to get the bag, we're going to be resourceful, but it doesn't have to be that hard anymore. You know, like, the systems need to change. As you said, hey, the gatekeeping needs to stop. It just, there's no reason this interlocking online program should have cost $2,000, you know? It's it's a mess right now. And until these things get fixed, like we're working hard to fix things for the future generation, but like it's very expensive. There's not enough scholarships, you know, and there's not enough teachers like that are not POC that are willing to really give the care and nature to these students, but they're still the ones taking these jobs in the black and brown neighborhoods. So it, there's so many intersections of these issues. I mean, and also we we have to go down that path today, but also making sure that you're not becoming a gatekeeper. Exactly. But you know, people not ready for that conversation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we moving on to any taking questions. Mm -hmm. we yeah, we could we could move on because I do want to get to like how this how this circles um, back to you guys's um, the the projects that you guys have have created. Um, because a lot of these issues that we're talking about, the different things that that we everybody up here has been doing. Um, are addressing them. So can you guys talk about what you what you hope the impact of your project will be on all of these issues that we're talking about in classical music? Uh, yeah, for BCME, my main goal is to is for black classical music educators to get the recognition that they rightly deserve while also being an example to the the kids that want to be want to be like them and want to have a job in classical music or they just want to have fun and learn an instrument or a specialty voice conducting whatever without having to worry about racism. Um, that I answer think, your question? Okay. I think for me, it's like partnering with the community to provide this exposure and experience to music, like including classical music, but um, also knowing that, you know, you can study gospel music or jazz in the way that these things relate. 
um, and also, you know, not just music, but all of the arts. And um, I think we don't like have a lot of interdisciplinary connections like in our probably programs because of just like the nature of, of how those systems are like set up. But like, that's also important learning to collaborate um, and trying new and different things. And so that's sort of my, my approach is, you know, providing you these things and then you kind of deciding how you want uh, to use those. I would say for me, it's to create, to kind of start the conversation of reworking the pedagogy of bassoon, um, to get rid of the standard sound being this European sound, um, and also getting rid of the word extended techniques and just having them be techniques, you know? At this point, there's many pieces that you're going to walk into rehearsal and there's going to be multiphonic there and you're going to look like, wow, you know? Um, so to just bring these different sounds that the bassoon can make to everyone, but specifically the bassoon community and just be like, look, this instrument has many, 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 many voices in this world and it doesn't just have to exist in this context. Um, sure. Should we take some questions? Yeah, I think, yeah. So, I think the last question is like kind of similar to the makes sense. Hmm. But I'm looking at the, the Q&A one. I don't know if, you, if that's what you're looking at. I was looking at the chat, but you can go ahead. Okay, well, I'll just read um, one from the Q&A. Uh, someone says, how do I know what my students know or don't know? Can I assume that they don't know anything just to ensure no gaps? Do I look carefully for gaps? Um, I can answer. I ask my kids. Like, I do a survey. I ask them about, like, things that they know, things that they don't know, things that they like, things they're interested in. Um, but also, I think that once you start to create like a relationship with your students, then that stuff like comes out naturally. Um, and you start to find out like the things that they don't know. So, I mean, we're not mind readers, so we're not gonna be able to guess, but I think just, you know, doing things like surveys and talking with the kids about um, what they know or don't know. Also realizing that they might know something, but call it a different name. Like, for instance, when I was in music history, they were talking about melisma, and I was like, oh, that's a run. Well, <laughs> it's the same thing, <laughs> but, like, we just call it different names. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you differentiate cultural appropriation from the limitation is the highest form of flattery? Oh, my, you know, my eyes be kind of, Okay, let me start over. <laughs> how do you differentiate <laughs> cultural appropriation from... Imitation is the highest form of flattery with regard to whites and blacks sharing each other's cultures. Uh, I can jump into this one. <laughs> I knew it. We're just going to jump off the back here. It's black people, um, not blacks, but cultural appropriation and then also highest form of flattery. If you take an HBCU, you know, if a white student goes to Howard and he joins their marching band, he is now a part of their marching band. He is not trying to take everything from this marching band and start his own show band, but he's here appreciating it. He's in the back, he's having fun, he's kicking and all this stuff playing the trombone. But when you have someone go and write like the Katrina ballads that happened and take everything that happened in Hurricane Katrina and romanticize it into a song cycle, when this was none of your experience as a white person, 
and you know so many black people down in Katrina that is cultural appropriation um just basically stealing things monetizing it and not giving back anything to the community and what I like mm -hmm. to always say is like ethnomusicologists when they go and they research this culture and like Aboriginal people in Australia or Indigenous people in the States um, and they write a book about it and win a Pulitzer, they need to give 90% of their proceeds back to the community that they've learned everything from, you know, because what you're just stealing all the information and not, what are you doing with it? Like, what are you giving to the people you took it from? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would also like to just add, I feel like, oh, um, especially in recent events when, when people have been trying to highlight Black composers, musicians, all that, they've been like, well, a lot of a lot of white people have come forward and been like, well, is it okay for me to play Florence Price? Is it okay for me to do William Crystal? And nobody ever asked me, is it okay that you're playing Beethoven? Is it okay that you're playing Brahms? Is it okay? You're like, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I mean, I understand, like, I feel like it comes from a lack of understanding and a lack of, of thinking critically about what cultural appropriation is. So I'm glad that we're able to be here to, um, you know, yeah. you know, hear that analogy from, from Clifton um, because I feel like if you're thinking critically about what it actually is in, in it, it, just go, it just goes to show how deeply this idea of like whiteness as normal as default permeates classical music for you to think that you know it's 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 normal for all the black people in classical music to be playing only white composers and that's normal but then when it comes to you know the other way around there's a little bit it it depends you know there are some things that maybe maybe you don't touch but like it's just a symphony we can play a symphony right. by a black person you know like there's just certain things that it's just like come on you know um Anyway, um, we have another question. How has classical music changed your lifestyle? <laughs> I, I used to wear nails. Seventh grade, what a time. <laughs> One day y'all gonna see me with acrylics and mind your business because that means that viola mm -hmm. has finally pushed me over the edge. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, a positive, a positive is that like, it's made me way more hardworking and attention to detail. Mm -hmm. um, we all know that, but like I was thinking of a negative recently, which is that people expect classical musicians to be like these um, basically politicians, <laughs> like careful with what they say, what they do, how they dress, what they, what, whatever. And we're people who like to play music and some of us have made that our job, but we're not, we're, we're just human beings and we shouldn't have to be perfect at everything. Like classical music, we shouldn't have to be perfect at that, but that's another story. But I feel like people just think that classical musicians need to be the most uptight, like, I don't know, <laughs> perfect in every way. Um, the first answer that came to my mind was not positive. I just thought about like all of the ways that I like internalized anti-blackness and white supremacy, like while navigating that system through middle school, high school, undergraduate and graduate degrees. I feel like my anxiety is so much worse. You know, I felt like before- Sorry, that's not what I mean. No, it's really okay. <laughs> I felt like this is a lot of people's thing. Like, I feel like before I got to conservatory, I was happy um, and that I could breathe <laughs> when I played in rehearsal. But now it's sometimes under certain people I'm playing with or in certain sections, I'm like, this is a lot of crazy energy. Like we need to calm down. 
it's Beethoven for me. We've all played this a million times. You know, like we will make it through. We will see Eroica, you know? It's, that's the thing. But I would also say that I like the positive aspect is that it really kicks my ass. You know, it really, I will never forget playing in a section, um, my la- one of my last concerts at Peabody was Eroica and Shasti Cello Concerto with Amit Paled. And that win section was really great and they kicked my ass and I was just like, okay, you have to be on it and it just really keeps you on your toes, you know? And that's what I do appreciate about it is that you can't slip up as a win player, you know? But like in the string section, there's a lot of y'all you can jeff and drive. Uh, not really let's not seen. start some drama let's, here. Let's, <laughs> let's not. <laughs> Because that, your little bobby do sticking out if you okay. the wrong way. It's finesse, babe. Yeah, I want to hear that. <laughs> you, now yeah. you down, Bo, and now I'm not a conductor looking at you, so I want to hear it. Right. I hear and it. I definitely heard some, like, straight <laughs> from random people, so. Not violence. You come in the wrong time, that each will tell on you. Okay. Tell, exactly. Embarrass you, okay? Ooh, <laughs> I know for myself. <laughs> I know for myself. But I mean, I will agree with like, I, I don't, I always am careful, me personally, like to make it, I mean, I do have a whole podcast on classical music, but I don't want it to make it seem like I hate classical music. Mm. I hope that, I hope that never comes across like that. But classical music, it can, it's very challenging because a lot of it is like internal work. You know, you have to try to block out the noise and made me work hard. I used to be a very lazy person. <clears throat> Anyone in my family could tell you that. Um, but it, it makes me work harder. It challenges me, you know, and, and also seeing that stuff applied to other areas in my life. Like, you know, if I could practice for four hours, I can get up at five o'clock in the morning and work out. You know, like I've seen a lot of, uh, what's it called? You know what stuff? Overlap. There we go. Okay. <laughs> um, next question. Uh, do you know of a group of young African-American students who have aspirations to be successful in classical music? Students of rock music, Dr. Armin Hall is a director. Shout out to Armin. Hit me up. Shout out to, shout out to Dr. Hall, shout out to Armin and their work. Uh, hit me up. If you wanted some kids who will work hard, please hit me up. I have a bunch in Rochester, New York, and I'm sure Mark said the same thing. I'm gonna let him go ahead because this is his panel, but um, y'all panel. But yes, there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, that's just the question. Do we know young mm-hmm. black kids you know, who are serious about classical music? Who have aspirations to be successful in classical music? Do you know of a group of young African Americans? <clears throat> Also, the ones in this, ones in this chat, the ones in this. Yeah, I I don't know that I understand the premise of the question. Like a formed group, or like. That's what yeah, I'm my my first thought well, it wasn't my first thought, but is that it doesn't even have to be all of that. You know what I mean? Like I feel like you know music can enrich the lives. They don't even have to necessarily have to have the aspiration to be successful in classical music. And I also think that's another thing that we got to undo for classical musicians. Like sometimes. I see people like this is not necessarily related to what this person is asking, but sometimes people will be like, oh, well, they did X, Y, and Z, and and they didn't really do that right, and and my teacher would have said this, and it's just like, or they're just playing the instrument for fun, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and I feel, and it's it's actually kind of scary how like how yes. much we separate fun and pleasure from like what is Oof. our passion, but like, yeah, I think that I mean there are plenty of of students, you know, in public in public schools that are not necessarily um, that might might not necessarily have the funds or the resources to enrich them, and then that's where people like Amari come in, 
Um, and that's where things like Jasmine's project come in and, and just people like all of us who are who are highlighting um, uh, black people. So I feel like there's a lot of students in, in El Sistema programs and public school programs mm -hmm. whose lives could, could definitely um, benefit from from classical music, not necessarily in the traditional way, but like a, a classical music education that is well-rounded and that is all-encompassing of what we've been talking about. <laughs> um, oh, but we do have a, a, a clarifier. Um, so sort of like a support group. And this person um, is a parent, a support group uh, for the, for the, um, the child. What oh. I would say about that, Classically Black Podcast is an online community of Black musicians. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we, we, we try to do that. So, yeah, and Arts in Action, uh, we're online. We're actually having a virtual camp right now. So you can find us on Facebook and we can probably find somebody to connect, uh, connect you with. And if you want a really supportive teacher, you can go on blackclassicalmusiceducators.com. We're expanding right now, by the way. Um, I just want to make sure I don't skip over anybody's question. Um, I think I hope I didn't. It says I'm I'm looking for a grade two middle school band music written by black composers. If you have any suggestions, grade two band music. Maybe Kevin Day. I don't know if he has like grade two stuff. Um, Omar Thomas, I think, has like a grade like two ish piece that just came out. Um, mm, okay, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put these composers. These are both people that have been black excellence on the show, but I'm gonna put these composers in the um, the chat. Yeah, because they're both amazing black composers. Um, yeah, oh, there was a question earlier on that they wanted us to say like what schools we went to. Yeah, I think we mentioned it mm. in the in the thing, but I'm Teesman. Also on Teesman. <laughs> I went to Peabody. Um, I went to Manus and now I started at Manhattan School of Music this fall. I went to the University of Central Oklahoma and UNC Greensboro. Um, I went to Illinois State University, and then I went to the Eastern School of Music, and right now I'm at the University of Memphis. Right. You popping. It's not diverged from what we're doing. <laughs> um, okay. I don't see any more questions. Yeah. Um, if there's no more questions, I mean... It was so great talking to y'all um, about this. I feel like the the what I hope people take away from this is that like there are people in classical music, you can create you know things to make space for yourself and people like you in classical music, and I think that's what everybody on here is um, is doing. So um, I want to make sure that we get a chance to plug you guys' like socials, your websites, everything, so that people can find out more about projects. So, um, yes, yeah, so y'all want to go like around and, and say, and I'll make sure that I put it in the chat so that people can see it. 
Okay. Yeah, uh, so oh. go, Jasmine. Okay, thanks. Um, for BCME, the site is blackclassicalmusiceducators.com. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram, just as our as our name. And you can also find me at on Instagram with my full name. Um, I'm on Facebook. My logo looks like this. So uh, yeah, you can follow us there. That's where a lot of most of our content is right now. And then there are also some, li some links to our website uh, to find more stuff. Um, and you can find my website at gidrybassoon.com. And then on Instagram is um, J-O-E underscore W-E-Y. Um, oh, well, we got a, a question over, over Q&A. Um, where can I listen to the podcast? Wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher. Everywhere. So, everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so I'm still putting. You said Gidry Bassoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can uh, follow us on Instagram at Classically Black Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, I know someone. Someone said they wanted to contact me. Just contact me on Classically Black, and we can go from there. Okay. And then. Yeah. So. Thanks everybody for for tuning in, and then thanks you guys for being here, being popping, talking about your wonderful projects. Um, all of their information that you can contact, learn more about the stuff that they do is in the chat. Um, so there's nothing else. Thank y'all for having us. Thank, Thank you. Y'all for being here. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for Black Excellence where we hype you up, gas you up, and give you your props because there's room for everyone at the top. Who are you talking about, Delaney? Okay, y'all. Today, I am talking about Daniel <gasps> Daniel Bartholomew Poiser. I hope I'm saying his second last name correctly. But um, he's out here conducting the girls, being popping. Um, he got his bachelor's of... His bachelor's in music performance and education from the University of Calgary. And then he went on um, to get his master of philosophy and performance from the Royal Northern College of Music at Manchester, England. What that even mean? Right. Um, he's been awarded. <laughs> <laughs> he's been awarded um, several prizes. Um, among them, the Canada Council for uh, for the Arts. Jean-Marie Baudet, Baudet. See, y'all do y'all killing me with this French. I don't know nothing about that. Uh, prize, oui, oui. <clears throat> prize for orchestral conducting. Um, he served as the assistant conductor at the Kitchener Waterloo Symphony and associate conductor of the Thunder Bay Symphony Orchestra. He's performed with a number of other orchestras, including the Vancouver Symphony, San Francisco Symphony, Toronto Symphony, Calgary Philharmonic, um, among others. Um. He um, is currently holding a, a position as the artist in residence um, and community ambassador at the Symphony of Nova, of Nova Scotia. Um, and he has recently been apport, appointed to the Board of Orchestras in Canada um, and is the chair of Inclusion, Diversity and Equity and Accessibility Committee, period. This is what we mean when we say y'all need a black person doing this stuff because I'm and paying them. Right. So. Um, and paying them. Paying them. So, 
Period. Um, yeah, so congratulations to him for being black and excellent. Oh, and this was a black excellent suggestion. So if you got somebody, let us know. Period. Oh, piece of the week. Okay. <laughs> I'm over here. What come next? Um, my piece of the week this week is Sonatine for Viola and Piano by Ulysses K. I'm gonna try to find a recording. Um, yeah, I bought this piece because apparently it w- it has like resurfaced or something. I really hate when they do this to black composers. Especially since, oh, I have a story about that that Mr. Taylor told me, <laughs> or, or he probably told oh, so you. So, so it's got to be off off air. I just don't know. Like, I don't know, but yeah. But it is okay. Well, if it, if it conflicts with what I'm about to say, then take this out. But I just have a problem with the fact that um, Ulysses K went to Eastman. And I learned about that after I left Eastman. They don't play none so, of his stuff. We don't play none of his stuff. Y'all got Hatch inside the hall. Who was Hatch? Who was that? I'll give you. I'll give you. Um, Howard Hanson. Don't nobody want that little hall anyway. Yeah, Howard Hanson is ratty. <laughs> that is freaking. It's raggedy. Don't nobody care about that hall. No way. I'll give you a little Kilburn. Scruffy. Who was Kilburn named after? That was his mama, yeah. his auntie. Yeah, I think it was his mom. It was his mom. Yeah, Maria Kilburn. Fine, but who was Hatch? Somebody with money. Y'all, y'all couldn't even name huh? somebody with money. <laughs> you couldn't even name the little um the little atrium outside of Hatch after Ulysses K. To the fact that his music is not even y'all don't even his music is not even housed at Sibley. I think it's at Columbia University, but y'all don't Eastman boy. Y'all do a lot. Y'all really do a lot. I really have a problem with that. But um, who's the person? There is some theorist or something that went to Eastman that they will not let us. They will never let us forget. I can't. I'm well. Guess I forgot. But Richard doesn't know it. No, nah, if it, they gonna forget anybody, <laughs> like y'all love to forget black students. But anyway, love it. They love it. I'm gonna be like, you know, Classic Black Podcast was started by um, <laughs> by Howard Hansen in 1939. Did you know that? <laughs> right. Let somebody pop out with Classically White Podcast. It's gonna be front page news over there. Mm-hmm. So. Front page news. Eastman's alumni. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Started Classically White Podcast. <laughs> what a concept! Eastman students starting podcasts. The, the very first one. The very first one. You know what? Fine. I am excited to receive this piece. Hopefully, I, it gets here before I get to go to Memphis. Um, but yeah, it's a sonatine. I mean, it ain't gonna be too much. Sonatine. <laughs> what? How much is that? One, two movements. How much is that? Sonatine. Oh, you know what? It wasn't this piece that, that Mr. Taylor showed me the story about. So anyway. Which piece was it? The George Walker um, Viola Sonata. What you say about that? Oh, yo, you did tell me about that? <laughs> oh, he told you about that? Yeah, off okay. the mics, off the mics. <laughs> 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 All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to Classic Black Podcast. 
Yep, bye. <laughs> You're a child. <laughs> you for, for the record, you messed up before I started messing with you. I did because I want to hear what he. Well, I want to hear what he said. Thank you so much for listening to Classical Black Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on so. You know what? Let me record this. I don't know what you. Oh, of, what you? All of us had a no show. What are you talking about? Hmm. Not nothing you, for the girls. You, can I can I say that? Can I say the outro now? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know what was stopping you. You don't know why mm. I stopped. Nope. No idea. Nope. Acuni day. Whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all see this? Y'all see who's really hindering the show ending? Thank you so much for listening to Classically Black Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Classically Black Podcast. If you have a piece of the week suggestion, a black excellence suggestion, or an intermission suggestion, send it to classicallyblackpodcast at gmail.com. And we will talk to you next week. And you see how it burned you to Good sit still? If I was not re- if I was not recording you. What are you talking about, Katie? You couldn't even you you know what? That's Good gonna be, job. I'm gonna record you every week. Every week, I'm gonna record you every week. Good job on the on the intro. I mean, on the outro. Good job. See, can't even get it out. What you mean can't get it out? Great job. Proud of you. You're not. Goodbye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>